You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. If you would, please turn to Isaiah chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delights shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goats. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, uh, who shall stand as a signal for the people of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnants that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Kids ages 2 and 5, as well as grades 4 and 5, you will be dismissed for Redemption Hill Kids. Uh, If you are in for the sermon, there are sermon notes available uh, and tote bags as well. All right, you may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, seems appropriate if we're going to start an Advent season. You might as well have snow. <laughs> so I was a pleasant surprise. Didn't realize it was coming until like last night. And I'm like, oh, we're getting some snow. So we are past uh, Thanksgiving and the Advent season has begun. Uh, in keeping with tradition, uh, during Advent, we focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. There's 52 weeks in a year, and every year we take four or five weeks to focus on what matters most during the Advent season. Uh, we focus on the Word that has become flesh, John 1, verse 14. We focus on why the Son of God took on mortal flesh. Excuse me. Over the years, I've done this a few ways just bringing a a focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. One year, we walked through the early chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Last year, 
We went through the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Another year, we looked at a combination of passages that focused on Old Testament prophecies that point toward the incarnation of Christ. Over the course of five years, I think we've hit the majority of texts that tell us about the birth of Christ. And by the way, I'm, I'm content with like re-preaching those sermons at some point in the future because guess what? It's truth, you know. But this year... As you may know already, I'm approaching our Advent series from like another angle. For the next five weeks, I will put a timeless Christmas carol in front of you. Carol simply means like popular hymn. And we will look at the truth from Scripture that kind of upholds that hymn. So another way, another way to think about it is like I'm not as concerned with the words that we sing, but I'm concerned with the truth that uphold and under that kind of the foundation of what we sing. I have, I've had this desire for years to, to do an Advent series in this particular way. Many of you love singing Christmas carols. Like a few of you have no problem embracing that all year round. I'll find you in June and you're singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Like, like I get you, by the way. Uh, my goal in this sermon series is to show you that direct link with Holy Scripture. As a result, when you sing a Christmas carol, you will have a greater sense of what it means to worship God when the words come out of your heart and then out of your mouth. And uh, just so you know, and if you're interested in this, you can come find me after the, after the service. There are several books um, that kind of just kind of walk you through the history of some of the great carols that we sing and, and kind of walk us through um, the scripture that is connected to these particular uh, carols. And so if you're interested in more of that, you can come find me afterwards. Also, as you can tell, we'll be focusing on O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I put that sheet uh, on your chair so that you can kind of track along regarding this particular carol. Now, I think a byproduct of my approach to this sermon series is that you'll see why we sing specific songs and why we do not sing songs that sound Christian but do not deserve to be heard in church. It's funny, Ryan and I were messaging yesterday because we got a list of songs. I'm just, you know, when I started thinking about the sermon series, I'm just putting in all the Christmas carols, you know, that I can think of, things that we commonly sing. And Ryan's like, we're not going to do that one. And, and I'm most grateful for that because he's got, this, he's got a sense of like, okay, you might, that might be a good thing to sing during the Christmas season, but that's not worship, right? Uh, singing jingle bells is not worship <laughs> or, or, oh, Christmas tree. <laughs> like if, if you're at a church and that song's being sung, my advice to you would be leave, <laughs> It's not worship. We want to sing songs that lead us to worship. And so I'm grateful for, for Ryan and, and Pastor Rob in particular who have a, a sense of what it means to sing songs that are theologically depth that lead us to true, genuine worship of God. We sing songs that exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a couple caveats before I pray and begin. Um, first, I have mapped out what carols I may use, ones that lead us from Holy Scripture, but I'm keeping um, that under lock and key for the moment, anticipating um, that that might change. Some of you have already connected with me, be like, hey, have you thought about this carol? So if you give me suggestions and ideas, I might look at that and be like, okay, 
let's, let's give that a shot. Let's look at the history of this particular carol. and Maybe this leads us to right worship. Because uh, there's, just, there's just so many carols out there. The, the moment I went down this rabbit hole, I just realized there's so many great songs that I don't even know about. I had a nickel for every time I asked my wife, hey, have you heard of this song? Because she grew up in the church and uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. She'd be like, yeah, I sang that growing up or whatever. I'd be like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> so if you have suggestions, please, please feel free to email me. Uh, but we won't obviously get to all of them. We only got five weeks for this. Here's the, the metaphor of what I think is going on. Instead of getting on to the interstate, interstate to go from point A to point B in terms of getting at Holy Scripture, uh, we're taking the back roads in this sermon series. We're gonna, I'm going to allow you to see the scenery that you, been, you would not see otherwise. We're still going from point A to point B, but we're just kind of taking a different road to get there. And the last thing I will say before I pray, I am absolutely out of my comfort zone. Like 1,000% out of my, it's, it was maddening to figure out how to preach something like this. Because as you know, I get a text and I just preach it, man. And this is a, definitely a different approach. So I'm learning um, a little bit as we go along. All right, let me pray, and then we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, my prayer for us during this Advent season is to have rightly tuned hearts that lead us to worshiping you. And even in the songs that we do sing, we want them to be meaningful as we praise and glorify your great name. I pray that in the power of the Spirit that you would be with me this morning. I want to be faithful. I want to speak truth. I pray for my friends that are in front of me. I trust that in the power of the Spirit, you're at work in them. I know that you do far more, uh, you're far more effective than anything I could ever say. So I trust you, O God, to be at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Veni, Veni, Emmanuel. In Latin, veni, veni, Emmanuel literally means draw near, draw near, God with us. Draw near, draw near, God with us. The title, the title alone should cause us to pause and reflect on the goodness of God. Veni, veni, Emmanuel. On Saturday morning, I actually forced myself to stop thinking about this sermon and just reflect on the fact that God has drawn near and remains near to me. And who am I to know God's goodness and love, right? Who am I? But in his divine wisdom and mercy, he has drawn near. He has drawn near to many of you. I do not deserve to sing Veni, Veni, Emmanuel. I don't deserve that. But deserving this privilege is not the point. If God has drawn near to you, then the appropriate response is worship. It is to rejoice. God is gracious and kind. And if you're tracking with me, then you know that the words we are looking at this morning are precious. Veni, Veni, Emmanuel. Here's how God has drawn near to you and me. We read in the Gospel of Matthew, Behold, 
the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Same word, that, that's coming out of the Greek into English. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that's coming out of the Latin, so it's a little change in that, in the word there. But there it is again. There's that word, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, combined with the plea, O come, O come, makes this hymn, I think, the perfect hymn to kick off an Advent season and this particular sermon series. The plea, O come, O come, moves us to consider a time when there was great anticipation of a Messiah. The Old Testament authors led by the Spirit, had laid the most obvious breadcrumb trail that leads to a Messiah. For those who are willing to follow the breadcrumb trail, there was great expectation. The expectation of a future Messiah permeated among many Jews. And that expectation should be similar to our anticipation of the Messiah. There is still a breadcrumb trail that leads to the second advent of Jesus Christ. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to remember what God has done and to anticipate what God will do. This morning, I want to show you the breadcrumb trail that leads to the Messiah. But first, here's a little history about this beloved carol. Perhaps this is the oldest Christmas carol still sung today. And this song just drips with theological truths about God. According to Ace Collins, and I quote, this popular hymn dates back, get this, to the ninth century and represents an important and ancient series of services celebrated at the time by the Catholic Church. In other words, this is an old hymn that was used in many different ways, right? At some point in history, this song went from being uh, sung in a Latin mass and became a Christmas carol. Here's a fascinating tidbit about the history of this song. In 1960, a nun visited Paris. I think the nun was from England, went to Paris, where she was reading a 15th century processional text. In many liturgical churches, think Catholic, Anglican, Eastern Orthodox, perhaps some Lutheran churches. Um, in many liturgical churches, this, the church service begins and ends with walking or a processional from the back of the church to the front of the church and at the end of the service from, from the front of the church to the back of the church. That's what I mean by processional. Well, this nun was reading about, get this, a funeral procession, a funeral. And one of the tropes for this funeral was, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Kind of like blows your mind when you think about how we've been using this for years, right? Thinking about the birth of Christ. And here this nun is reading, O come, O come, Emmanuel, in, in, uh, in relationship to a funeral. <laughs> this hymn was used to focus on the second advent of Jesus Christ. So while we do not know who was the original author, this song has a rich history. 
If you were to Google, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it is likely that a man by the name of John Mason Neal would be attributed as the author. Neal, living in the 19th century, so we've gone from the, from the you know, 8th, 9th century to the 15th century, now in the 19th century. This man, Neal, in the 19th century, stumbled across this hymn while reading what amounts to a Catholic hymn book. He was struck by the theological depth of the song and was moved to translate it from Latin to English. 25 years after it was translated into English, this song just became popular all throughout Europe and all throughout America. Eventually, the hymn went from seven to eight verses, we don't know really, to just five verses, which is what's most common today. This version of this hymn seems like endless, like the various versions that are out there. But just so you know, I'll be working from, from Neil's translation, which I gave you. There are two features of this famous hymn that are worth pointing out. First, the song is an antiphon. Now, if you're like me and you like didn't grow up like knowing anything about music, I can't read a music chart, a chord chart, is that what it's called, chord chart? I don't know. I have, I have no idea what an antiphon is. But here's what it is. The short answer is that an antiphon has a specific pattern to the song. The O Come, O Come is the pattern that we're kind of looking at this morning. It leads us. Here's what Andrew Grant has to say. The genesis of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel lies in the seven or eight O's of this great, of this great Advent antiphons. These are a series of prayers, each invoking Christ by one of the names or titles he is given in Scripture ending with a supplication framed around that image. They are unamb unambiguously ancient. So originally, O Come, o Come Emmanuel was chanted, and it was, it was meant to remind you by the use of antiphon, remind you of profound spiritual and theological truth. So that's the first major feature of this ancient hymn. Here's the second feature of the hymn, which the quote I just gave you hints at. You can think of each verse as a prayer. It could be your prayer. And then the refrain is the answer to the prayer. So as you sing, you're praying something, and then you immediately get the answer. I find that dynamic between prayer, in each, each verse is the, the prayer, and the answer to prayer, the repeated refrain, to be moving. Now, there's, there's more I can say about the history and the features of this hymn, but from what I've told you, I hope you can see that when we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you actually are joining millions of people who are praising God with similar words. So that's kind of my, my introduction into this, into this hymn. Now, here are the passages from Holy Scripture that serve as kind of the foundation of this hymn. For the sake of time, I'm I'm going to be looking at only a few, not all the, all the verses. But we have verse 1, we have Isaiah 7, 14. Verse 2, where you see in verse 3, Isaiah 11, which we'll look at. Verse 4, we have Isaiah 9. I think you see a pattern, right? And then we'll look at verse 8. We've got Haggai 2 and Isaiah 2. Now let's look at verse, verse 1 and, and see where Scripture is leading us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and you know the words, in ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Right out of the gate, this carol speaks about 
redemption, rescue, and ransom. Israel, which represents God's covenant people, is living in spiritual exile. And the only way out of spiritual exile is through the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Tethered to what we sing is Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. When we sing, until the Son of God appear, we are singing Isaiah 7.14. Here's a great quote from the 15th, 16th century theologian, Richard Sibbs. He reflects on Isaiah 7.14. Christ was called the consolation, I think comfort, we sang that this morning, the consolation of Israel at his first coming. Now let us comfort ourselves that this Emmanuel will appear in our flesh before long. Let us wait for the consolation of Israel. Emmanuel came down to us to take our nature upon himself and to satisfy God's wrath. That he might take us to heaven with himself and that we might forever be with him in glory. And therefore let us, if we would make a true use of Emmanuel, desire to be with him. Sibs, if you've ever read Sibs, knows how to be succinct, precise, and clear with his words. The promise made in Isaiah 7:14 has been fulfilled. The virgin Mary conceived a child. The child was a son. And through the child, God's covenant people would be what was the language from our verse would be rescued, right? Ransomed from exile. As we've seen, if you've been tracking in the book of Hebrews, the way God's people are rescued is that the child would eventually become the ransom. He became the payment for our sins. Listen, if, if you're not a Christian, you really have something to wrestle with this Advent season. If you don't know the Lord, you really have something to wrestle with. You might have great expectations about celebrating your traditions and you know, opening Christmas presents. But all that is meaningless compared to your life living in exile and bondage because of your sins. Your sins condemn you. And the only way out of exile is to be freed from condemnation. And the only way that happens is to repent and believe. Mark 1 verse 15. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah who can forgive your sins. Like in several minutes we're going to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Like take those words to heart as you see them on the screen and perhaps sing those words with your mouth. The most appropriate response to verse 1 is indeed the refrain. What do you do? Rejoice. Rejoice. We praise God who is faithful to fulfill his covenant promises to ransom sinners to himself. Like, man, the truths of verse 1 are so good. Like, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of versions of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But if there's one constant in all the versions, is that they have verse 1 right there out of the gate. 
So many beautiful, profound truths that we get to sing. Now let's look at verses 2 and 3. O come, thou wisdom from on high, who orders or orders all things mightily, to us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her ways to go. Now verse 4 of our, of our carol. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thy own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. I'm taking uh, verse 2 and verse 3 together because the same scripture reference upholds both verses, and that's Isaiah 11. The reason why I had Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 11 read during the public reading of scripture is that three of the seven to eight original verses are directly connected to that passage. Further, I think verse 5 is strongly influenced by Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, along with Isaiah's chapters 2, 7, 9, 22, and chapter 33 are woven into this beautiful hymn. It is no wonder that the book of Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel. So what are we singing from verses 2 and 3 of this hymn? If you were to sing or read all seven or eight verses, the name Jesse comes up twice. It comes up in verse 3 and then in verse 6. Let's read Isaiah 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, like think tree, right? And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What the prophet Isaiah is attempting to communicate is that Jesse is the father of King David. But by the time Isaiah prophesies these words, like King David's dead. As a matter of fact, because of the rotten fruit of King David, the Davidic kingdom was split into two. And God's covenant people once again began to rebel and worship other gods. Nonetheless, God made another covenant, you might remember, with David. 2 Samuel 7. God would raise up one who is far greater than King David. How is this other person greater than King David? Let's go back to verses, verse 2 of our hymn. Through the line of King David, there is one who can free you from the tyranny of Satan. Again, if you don't know God, you need to realize you're under the tyranny of Satan. Whether you admit it to yourself or not, you are under his tyranny. And who can crush the tyranny that you're experiencing? Well, that person has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. The other comfort that we sing about is found in verse 3 of our hymn. God's covenant people do not need to fear hell and death because Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, grew up to live a perfect life. He was without sin, unlike you and me. Jesus, the Son of God, knew before the foundation of the world that he was on mission to save the world. In his 30s, he subjected himself to suffering and death by crucifixion. But the good news, which we sing, which we sing about in verse 2, is God gave Christ victory over the grave when he walked out of the tomb. And that's a hearty amen. This means anyone who believes in Jesus Christ has victory over the grave. 
Another reason why I love this great carol is that it connects the incarnation with the crucifixion and the resurrection. To say it a bit differently, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel connects Christmas with Good Friday with Resurrection Sunday. Listen, it's, it's excellent uh, to isolate one particular truth about God and just sit and marvel about that particular truth about God. But it's also great to see how these great truths are connected, how these gospel truths are connected to one another. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 to 5 and verse 2 of this carol are meant to be paired together. Here's that passage from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Think the one who's from Jesse, the branch of Jesse. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall, shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he hears, what the ears hear. Who has the wisdom to judge righteously? Who has the knowledge to decide disputes and ensure equity and that's done correctly? Who? Let me tell you what the answer is not. The answer is not unrepented mortal man or the secular institutions that make up our society. The ultimate answer from Isaiah 11 is the son of Jesse. He is the one who judges righteously. The son of Jesse has the knowledge to decide disputes and ensure equity. In the second verse of the the hymn, the judgment of God is focused on restoration. Listen, God judges the nations. Just keep reading the rest of Isaiah 11, right? But God also judges to provide the means of reconciliation. The judgment for your sin, again, was put upon Christ. Therefore, the path back to God is through Christ. So we've gone through verses 1, verses 2, verses 3. I'm going to walk through two more verses from this hymn. The fourth verse and then the last verse. Here we go. Here's the fourth verse. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Now I read that. We sang it earlier in another hymn. But my first question of this verse is, what does dayspring mean? Like, how many of you are, are folding that word into your everyday language? Not many of you, I'm guessing. What does that mean? Some think this is a reference to the morning star in Isaiah 14, verse 2. That doesn't make any sense to me. Others believe it's a re- reference to Malachi uh, chapter 4, verse 2. And here's that verse. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Like I see that connection. I'm tracking. Nature imagery is being used to describe the work of God to remove the gloomy clouds. I think I can draw a line between verse 4 of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and Malachi 4.2. Kind of building off that, another way to think about dayspring is to realize that in the Latin, and Ryan was referencing this earlier, dayspring refers to a fixed point in the sky where the sun comes up. Job 38 in Luke 1, reading out of the King James Version, uh, show us this. So the prophet Malachi might be onto something. I think, I think the best way to think about the term dayspring in all of verse 4 is that Jesus is the newly come light of the world. 
the promised Messiah breaks into the darkest places and illuminates everything. I mean, we don't have time to get get into this today, but the metaphors of light and darkness can be seen throughout the entire Bible. Generally speaking, light is good, darkness is bad. Here's the fascinating truth about light and darkness. Death's dark shadows are put to flight, it's put away with the slightest gospel spark. Let's say you're in a dark room, right? Lights out, can't see anything. Well, the smallest light can illuminate the room. That is the power of light. That is the power of Advent. That is the power of Christ. This verse also refers to the hope we have in God, which pushes us back to the words from the prophet Isaiah. We read these words in chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. What is our response to this part of a prayer, right? It's kind of a prayer, these verses. What is our response as we consider the light of the world breaking into darkness, deep darkness? Again, the response, the only response, the only acceptable response is to rejoice. Like, I just, I'm going to save you um, the embarrassment, but I just kind of want to sing it right now. Rejoice. Like, sing that, the refrain, because that is the response. The people of God rejoice. Rejoice because the day spring, the light of the world has come. He has come to set us free from the shadow of death. Let's look at uh, one more verse. The last verse in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, at least the version that I gave you, moves our minds and hearts from the first advent of Jesus Christ to the second advent of Jesus Christ. O Come, desire of nations, bind and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid, thou our, thou our sad divisions cease, and be thyself our king of peace. Now, I said earlier that this carol connects the incarnation with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can now take another moment in history that is deeply theological, that is connected to this carol. God's plan of redemption and restoration will find its ultimate fulfillment at the second advent of Jesus Christ. Two passages from Scripture inform this verse, Haggai 2.7 and Isaiah 2.4. Here's that passage from Haggai. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The language of this carol, as you probably can tell, maps better onto the King James Version of the Bible because that translation of the Bible would have been sitting right in front of John Mason Neal. There was no English uh, ESV, you know, back then. It was the King James. Regardless, the truth is the same. Right now, you and me and anyone who makes up God's covenant people look forward to the day when divisions cease. Like, do you long for that day? I do. For a moment, consider all the divisions that exist in our day. Geopolitical, there's geopolitical strife everywhere. It seems like you can't turn on the news without seeing it. In our country, there's a massive division sown by politics, 
we can make the observation a little more local. There's divisions in our state. Even more local, there are divisions in our city and neighborhoods. Even more local and more personal, there's divisions between husband and wife, parents and children. Even more personal. Perhaps there's conflict in you. Perhaps there's division within yourself because of sin. Because you know that you're actually in conflict with God. So there's division. There's division within you because you know at the end of the day, God is real. And just keep rejecting him. So there are many divisions that the Messiah reconciles. Many divisions. Some divisions cease right here and now. If you follow Jesus Christ, you know that the division between you and God has been eliminated. (laughs) You stand free, declared not guilty. But there will be a future day where all division will cease. Man, I look forward to that day. I mean, I think it was yesterday or whatever. Just jumped on the computer, checked the news. It took like two minutes for my heart to get spooled up again because of reading of some conflict. Can't wait for the day when all that's put down. We also look forward to the day, the day when the King of Peace will physically reign over the earth. Again, think for a moment how much angst exists in our day. We do not see people, we do not, we see the angst again between husband and wife perhaps, or an individual might lack peace. If you're experiencing angst and frustration, guess what? You need the king of peace. Like if you came here this morning with angst and frustration, you need the king of peace. Listen to this excellent quote from Thomas Merton. This is a great quote. Great quote. We are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace. Excuse me. Head cold. We are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. That is a great truth. If you do not know Christ, you will never, never experience peace. You might strive for it, but it's going to be elusive. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be reminded that you have the peace of Christ because within you is actually the spirit of Christ. You need to remember that you have peace right now, which is a taste of a lasting peace brought about by the return of Christ. That day is going to come. Now, here's Isaiah 2, 4. Which, which is also what we sing about. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes of many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. In a minute or two, a couple minutes, we're going to sing this carol. 
And I hope that one of the results of walking through these lyrics is to give you greater faith in what you're singing. Functionally, functionally, you are singing Holy Scripture. And that's what we do here. We sing Holy Scripture. You're singing theological truths. You are singing God's Word. You are singing about the wonderful works of God to save His people. You're singing about how God will fulfill promises that are still on the table, namely that the Lord Jesus will return. When he returns, there will be no mistake that every knee will bow. Like hear this from Philippians 2. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like you're going to have some who are clearly going to see that Jesus is Lord, who do not want to follow Jesus as Lord. But I tell you what, every knee will bow. Every knee. Every single one. Veni, veni, Emmanuel. Until Jesus returns, we know God is near. We know God is with us. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to remind each other about this truth, about God, and worship with the words that come of our our mouths, right? We, We worship with one another, we sing to one another, and then we direct our gaze to the Lord. We sing. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.